but you said this the other day on Facebook and it really stuck with me and it was pursue joy, not perfection. And I'm definitely guilty of pursuing perfection, but if we can just pursue joy in our breastfeeding or feeding our baby in whatever way brings us the most joy and the most peace. And for some people that's going to be breastfeeding, but for others, it is going to be formula feeding or getting donor milk or working really hard through your breastfeeding struggles because you have confidence that there's joy on the other side of it. It's going to be different for everyone, but do what's going to bring you the most joy and the most peace because that's really what matters. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hi, everyone. It's Bet. Thank you for being here. Today's episode really holds a special place in my heart. But after we were done recording we realized that there was a microphone issue on my end. I debated whether we should re-record the episode, but after much thought and consideration, I said, let's roll. You will notice that my audio is a little echoey, and well, the sound quality is not as good. But as Cassie explained so well in the intro, we are on this earth to pursue joy, not perfection to not let perfect get in the way of good. And ironically, my sound today was an example of exactly that. If you have questions on breastfeeding, breast milk donation, or just want to hear from this amazing giving soul, Cassie, I welcome you to take a listen. This episode is not just for the moms and females out there. I promise you, her story of generosity is one for all. I also want to acknowledge that the time that she has given also took a support supportive spouse. So yes, today's episode is an acknowledgement of Cassie's generosity, but to me, it's also acknowledging the generosity of her husband and others too. So come join me on this road of joyful imperfection. It's pretty dang great here, if I don't say so myself. Here's Cassie. I have shared with many of you my journey with my youngest, my sixth, Vivian Ruby Jean Lucas. We call her Vivi Ru or Vivi. She has been quite humbling. My guest today is here to share about something that has become really close to my heart because I have been a donor milk recipient, specifically a breast milk donor recipient. And I never, ever knew this world even existed. Like I had no idea. And to be honest, I really never needed it with my other babies. And when I had Vivian, 
here I thought this would be my easiest breastfeeding journey. It was my sixth child. Each child kind of got easier. I knew my body more and more. And I also wasn't traveling as much for my job. And for those of you that know me, follow the podcast, follow me on social, you know that I, I do travel for my work and I was seeing less travel. So I thought, oh, I'm working from home a little bit more. I'm traveling less. It's my sixth baby. Hey, breastfeeding slam dunk. I, I'd like to tell you all that I actually believe, really, really believe this happened for a reason. And I don't always believe that everything is for a reason. Meaning like if you've had a horrible tragedy in your family, if you had a sexual assault, or if you had something very severe, I believe it can always be used for good. But do I always believe that saying? Sometimes no. But do I believe that this happened for a reason? I really do. And I really do believe that this challenging moment on my parenting motherhood journey was here so that now my job is to help share about this beautiful gift and beautiful option with others. Not because I think the other options out there for people who struggle with breastfeeding or who have had supply issues or you name it, not that there's not other good options. I totally support you on your unique and bold journey. However, I do believe this is an option that isn't really talked about as much as it should be. And my guest today, the reason she is extra special and the reason she holds a special place in my heart and in Vivi's is that Cassie is one of the moms who stepped up and donated breast milk for Vivian. And I can't just, I go a little speechless because I can't imagine how much time and effort. She's a busy mom. She leads a busy life. And yet she takes time out of her world, her day, feeding her children to feed others. And there are thousands and thousands of other moms out there doing this exact thing. And we need the world to know about this, not just for the fact that other recipients might be out there, but we need to shed a light on these angels that are out there sharing. And so I approached Cassie and asked her if she would come on the show. And ironically, we have never, ever met in person. I go to her house and I I pick up this milk, but I feel very bonded to her. I'm just so honored she's here. So long intro so that you guys could have some background. But without further ado, I welcome Cassie to the Big Bold Life podcast. Cassie, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Bet. Thank you. That was quite an intro. <laughs> There's just so much on my heart about this topic. And I know that sometimes people maybe would have hesitations about this or or maybe they'd have hesitations even to be a donor. And I'm just really hoping maybe we can help even one person out there hear about what you've done and maybe it helps them on their journey. I love that. I love that. So Cassie, tell us a little bit about your family and you and ages of your children and all the things. Sure. So I'm Cassie, as you said, and I live in the Pacific Northwest, as you do, with my incredibly smart and funny husband. He wants me to make sure I say that he's funny. This is um, so my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love yes. this. I love yes. this. 
And his name is Dan. And then we have five kids. Sydney is 11. Eloise is eight. Finley is six. Isabel is three. And then there's the baby, August, who isn't really a baby anymore. He's 15 months old. Breaks my heart a little. And I'm a stay-at-home mom who sometimes feels incredibly overwhelmed by our crazy life. But this big family of mine is like a dream come true. And I'm so thankful for it. Did you always want a big family? I did. I I grew up as an only child. I found childhood pretty lonely. And I just always dreamed of having a house full of kids. And we did have fertility struggles along the way. So it was never a given that it was going to happen. But that makes it all the more like miraculous. And I'm all the more grateful for it. Because one point I wasn't sure I'd even have one child. So I'm so thankful. You know, I really am glad you were willing to share that because I do find that a lot of people out there assume if you have a big family, they assume that you are just uber fertile and you've had no fertility issues. And, you know, Quite a few moms of big families, when I interview them or talk to them, their story is similar. It took them a while on their journey. Yeah, it's just a classic case of don't judge a book by its cover because it definitely wasn't easy for us. Yeah, and I also think that people forget that moms of a big family also can you know, suffer losses. And I would often quickly get asked as soon as I hadn't had a baby in a little while, Oh, when's the next one? And it's a very harmless, sweet question. But there were a few times where it may not have been an appropriate time to share, but, you know, it was like I had miscarried and I I couldn't announce that in my office. And yet here's someone's asking me, oh, but it's been a while. And I do think that's another thing to just be aware of that. Just don't assume that because someone has had a child or has had lots of children that they haven't had fertility struggles like anyone else. Definitely. Yeah. I've been there too. I've also miscarried and yeah, it's just something to, for people to be aware of. Just be careful of the questions you ask. Yeah. And it's really humbling because I look back and I'm like, did I, I probably did that many years ago. I just sometimes You just don't even think about how that could have impacted somebody. So you and Dan have the five children. You live in the Pacific Northwest and the ages of your children are so similar to mine. It's almost hilarious. I'm looking at your breakdown here and I love all of your names, P.S. I just, oh, I love them all. So did Dan always want a big family or when you met, was that something you guys talked about right away or how did that kind of come to be in your relationship? You know, he, he has two brothers and three stepbrothers. And I think kind of coming from a biggish family, he was like, I do not even know if I want kids. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So we were kind of complete opposites, but he knew that if he wanted to be in my life, that that was something that was really important to me. And so I think he kind of just embraced it and was like, whatever, like, I'm just kind of along for the ride. But he was, he's been fine with it. He's definitely ready to stop. 
at this point. Whereas I would love just one more. But yeah, he, he's been great. And he's like the most phenomenal dad. You know, I have a friend and I won't name her name because I don't know if she would like me sharing this story. But I have a friend and this reminds me very much of their dynamic where actually he came from a smaller family. She came from a bigger family and she wanted like all the kids and he was like, uh, one? One sounds really nice. And you know what? I picture your husband like him because he's literally like the most phenomenal dad. They have four. And here's this guy who thought he would have been happy with like zero to one. And it just blows my mind what an amazing dad he is today. And just watching him. And I know though that with like each one, my friend would have to go back and be like, um, one more, please. Well, my husband thought he was never going to have kids. He literally was like, he loved kids. He was kind of the super uncle role though, like the fun uncle. And I met him later in life. My husband's 10 years older than me. And he just thought it wasn't meant to be. He, before me, had dated someone a little bit older than him actually. So he just kind of where his mind was, he didn't really think it was in the cards for him to have kids or it's just so cool now because- Same with my husband. Like, I'm just so grateful he is a dad because the world would have missed out on Spencer. He's just such a phenomenal father. And I love hearing stories where maybe someone thinks that it's their path is one way. And then it's like, oh, I guess this is my path. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Life is full of surprises. All the time. So we're going to talk about breastfeeding today. Tell me a little bit about your breastfeeding journey and then we can kind of dive into breast milk donation and also maybe some tips that you have for moms out there that might be struggling on their journey. But I know that's a mouthful, but maybe let's start with sharing a little bit about your breastfeeding journey and you can start wherever you feel is best. I have to say I've been very, very lucky that my breastfeeding journey has mostly been uncomplicated, fairly easy and straightforward. I breastfed all of my babies basically as long as I wanted to. I weaned them earlier than I really wanted to, but that was a decision of mine because we were ready to start trying to have another baby. So other than that, things have mostly been pretty easy. I did develop thrush when I was breastfeeding my first baby, and that was excruciating. And I struggled through breastfeeding and really thought our journey might come to an end because it was so painful. But I finally sought help for that. And that's when I learned it was thrush and we got medication, both me and my daughter. And that solved that. For my fifth baby, for the first time ever, I had a baby with a tongue tie. And that also complicated things a little bit and made breastfeeding fairly painful in the beginning, even though he was nursing pretty well, it was really painful. But once we had that tongue tie lasered, things got better. And other than that, I haven't really dealt with too many problems. I do get clogged ducts, milk ducts, quite often, probably because I'm making so much milk. And if I skip a feeding, or if I'm away from my baby for too long, my milk ducts get clogged. But I've been really lucky that that's about as bad as it has gotten. Thrush is very painful and it's just annoying because I don't know if this was your experience, but I think we had it with Emmy and Elliot or I had it with Elliot and Bo. I think I had twice. 
And in both of those instances, like it took a long time for it to go away too. Like even with medication, I found that it was like kind of, I don't know, maybe my memory's bad, but I remember one, it hurt. And two, it was just a pain. Like I hated it. It's been a while too for me, but I think if I remember right, it took, it took a while for that medication to like really go to work and to make it go away. Yeah, I do remember that as well. And then on your tongue tie with your fifth, at what age did you figure out? And was it you? Was it your pediatrician? Was it a nurse? How did you figure out there was a tongue tie? And at what age? And then at what age did you address it? Nursing was kind of painful from the start with him. It kind of always is for me. And I don't know if that's just like a shallow latch on the baby or if that's just how it is. So I kind of waited it out, but I could, I was looking under his tongue and I could like, whenever he would cry, I could see what I thought was a tongue tie and my babies had never really had one. So I wasn't 100% sure. So I asked my midwife about it and she's like, oh yeah, that's, that's a tongue tie for sure. So she referred us to a lactation center at three weeks old. He had that lasered. So it was pretty early on that we had it taken care of. I'm kind of convinced that all my children have a kind of a tongue tie, like they're just more prone to a little bit shorter, I'm forgetting what that name is, between the tongue and the bottom of their mouth. But I really feel naive because I think looking back, I wonder if that was the start of a lot of the issues with Vivi, that if we would have got that lasered, would that have addressed that? And I'm not here to like, obviously, I'm not someone who lives in a life of pool of regrets, but it's interesting at baby six that like, in my mind, what also can happen is everyone assumes you're kind of an expert too. And if you didn't really deal with that before, by the time I kind of delved into that, it was kind of too late. But something was definitely different with Vivi breastfeeding than my others. And I, I, looking back, I wonder if the start of some of our hurdles was really just an undiagnosed tongue tie that I wish maybe we would have delved in further and maybe prevented some of the, the issues that we had. And she had some others, but just to moms out there and dads out there that might be listening, those are some red flags that don't hesitate to ask about it and don't be afraid to get it addressed. Because I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh, once we got the baby's tongue lasered, it like solved it so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about babies going undiagnosed with tongue ties or lip ties that can affect nursing and they don't discover it till much later, possibly when their kid's having some speech impediments, though tongue and lip ties don't always affect that. And they felt pretty certain it wasn't going to affect August's tongue tie because they said he had a lot of like flexibility in his tongue still, which is why he was still nursing and still gaining weight. But it was just, it was making it painful. And so definitely if there's something not right while you're breastfeeding and you feel like something's off, just, it doesn't hurt to ask. Totally. And if you're really committed to breastfeeding and you're not getting the answers you want, you know, ask somebody else because I've also had girlfriends say, I'm pretty sure that so-and-so has a tongue tie and they asked and kind of got the, oh, it's fine. It's not that bad. And then they asked somebody else and they were like, oh, no, that's pretty bad. Let's fix that. So you as a mom, we have such great mother's intuition. We really, really do. And, And unfortunately, there's a lot of voices in the world that kind of try to drown that out. So compare your breastfeeding journey 
to your, you know, your 11 year old, your eight year old versus like August, what do you think are some things that you wish you would have known early on, even though you never had it really hard breastfeeding and you really had good milk supply and all these things? What are some things you'd be like, ah, I wish I would have done this or what if I would have known this and things that helped you? One thing which we've kind of been talking about is ask for help. Don't be afraid if you feel something's not right to ask for help, whether that's from your doctor or the baby's doctor or a friend who might have experience. There's just, there's someone out there who probably has the answer. And even in this day of it, age of social media, there are so many great like Facebook groups that can be supportive and give you advice or tell you a resource that might be able to get you answers. So if you're struggling through breastfeeding, if it hurts, if you don't feel like your baby's gaining enough weight or just something doesn't feel right, like don't be afraid to ask for help because there's no shame in it. And like in the end, it's going to bring you so much peace to know that you've done what you need to and gotten it fixed, hopefully. There's a lot about not feeding babies on schedule and feeding on demand. And I I 100% agree that if your baby's hungry, feed them. But I have found that for my mental health, if I can have something of a loose schedule, so I know approximately when I'm going to be feeding my baby again, that's just really helped me to be able to plan my day and know what to expect. And I, I'm a planner, so I really like to kind of have a routine. And so that's helped. And that's that's something I've learned over time. I think that makes a lot of sense because there's this when you're not on some sort of a schedule, it can feel stressful because you don't know, is the baby hungry? Is the baby tired? Is the baby gassy? And when you have a little bit of a schedule, I also think it helps you cue into their cues a little bit better, or at least it did for me. I was a little bit more confident in what I thought the baby was telling me when I had a little bit more of a schedule as well. There is such thing as cluster feeding where sometimes babies are going to feed a bunch of times close together. But I just think as, especially as babies start to get a little bit older, they can handle a little bit of a schedule and it can really help a mom. I I completely agree with you. So here you have five children breastfeeding them. Did you ever notice something that impacted your supply negatively or positively, whether it was food, diet, liquids, exercise? To negatively affect it, there's been a couple things. Illness is huge. Anytime I've had like a fever, I've had the stomach flu a couple times, like my my supply will just tank for a day or two. But as long as I'm nursing and getting back to pumping and stuff, because I've always pumped a lot, then my supply will go right back up after after those couple of days. Another thing is dehydration is huge. I've especially noticed that like while I'm traveling, I just I'm not as great about drinking water because we're just busy and we're on the go and I'm trying to keep track of five kids and keep them from breaking things or whatever, you know, running <laughs> off. I'm just not as great about drinking water and my supply will often go down pretty dramatically with dehydration. Affecting it positively, I think kind of the reverse, a lot of water. Also, there have been some teas, like some milk-made teas you can find that are great for breastfeeding moms. Those have really helped me if I'm like, oh, my supply seems a little lower than normal. I'll drink tea two or three times a day for two or three days. And I usually do notice 
a pretty dramatic increase. Oh, great. That's great advice. I do think you're right on water. I also think that is hard with moms because we get busy. And it's really easy, at least for me, it's really easy for me to just forget to drink enough water. I did notice that as well. Like if I'd be at work one day and I just, even if I was pumping on schedule, but I wasn't hydrating enough, my milk supply would be affected dramatically. What about sleep? Do you ever notice that makes a difference either way? I have to admit, I'm not the greatest at getting the amount of sleep that I should. So I can't honestly say because I'm almost always deficit when it comes to sleep. But you know, I think some run one way or the other. And some maybe that's just like how we function. I I go through phases where I feel like my body's telling me I need more sleep. And then for phases where I can be a little bit more sleep deprived and be fine. Well, no, I appreciate the honesty because I think some moms will have people on and and if you just told me, oh, I'm I'm completely well rested all of the time with five children, 11 and under, and I stay at home. Some people would be like, uh, Cassie, really? Let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> so here is where my mind is just so overwhelmed with gratitude. So you're a busy mom of five. How and when did you decide to start sharing some of the breast milk that you produced with others. How did this come to be? I'd like to say it started from like a noble and altruistic desire to help other families who couldn't give their babies their own breast milk. Really, that was just kind of a bonus. My pumping and donating journey really started from anxiety, if I'm being honest. I struggle with anxiety. And after I had my second baby. So I pumped just a little while I was nursing my first baby, but I never donated. But once I had my second baby, I had a real fear of losing my milk supply for whatever reason. I do have PCOS, which can affect milk supply, though I don't think it's ever affected mine. But I was just, I was determined to never have to worry about losing my supply. And so I just started pumping like a crazy person. I started doing that shortly after Eloise was born. And it did help my anxiety a lot. It helped me to feel better to know like I had basically a freezer full of milk. But then of course, I had all this milk that my baby didn't need. And it just killed me to think about just throwing it down the sink. And so as I started doing some research, and I don't know exactly how I found human milk for human babies, but for those who don't know, they have a Facebook group, I believe, for every state. So I found the one for Washington State, and I went onto the group, and I posted that I had all this milk to donate, and I would probably have more to give in the future. The responses came pouring in, and there were a dozen or two dozen families in need of breast milk. So it was easy. It was it was relatively easy to find someone. The difficult part was choosing which one I was going to donate to. Right. There are so many people out there with this need, and I think as someone who's donating, it would be overwhelming at times because you're like, I want to help you all, and I I can only do so much. But I want to go back to your comment on anxiety and pumping. How amazing, though, that you knew this about yourself 
And you said, I think by doing this, this is going to help me. And this is going to give me some peace. And I just love that you were just proactive about that. You're like, I'm going to try this. And then I'm not going to be as anxious about this particular thing. So many moms out there in particular, uh, many people in particular, but moms in particular struggle with anxiety. And I think that it's really amazing to me when you can say, okay, I think if I do this, this will help my mental peace right now. And and you, like you said, it did. It, it helped give you that kind of like, oh, okay, okay, we're good. So how much were you breastfeeding and then pumping? Like, how did that look for you? It's changed over time. So with each baby, I've actually pumped and I don't know about breastfeeding, but I've definitely pumped more than the time before. With my most recent baby, I was pumping about six times a day and breastfeeding six times a day. Wow. You're a saint. (laughs) It was pretty much a full-time job. It was definitely six to eight hours of my time, plus, you know, the time it takes to clean the parts and bag up the milk and, and do all of the necessary things to get ready for pumping and all of that. It's definitely a lot of work. It wouldn't be for everyone, but like you said, it's it's brought me a lot of peace. It makes me feel good to know that I have my boobs working overtime, basically. I've loved, of course, helping other families. That's been like a great, a great bonus to all of this. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guests. I get so overwhelmed to think and so grateful to think how much time that you've given to others. Yes, you've given them milk, but you've given them your time, which you don't have a lot of. And I think that that's what is so humbling to just observe and say, look at what these donors are doing. And for those of you listening that might be like, yeah, well, why doesn't someone just use formula or why not this? And being a part of this group has really opened my eyes on the needs there are with premature babies, babies that maybe their mom, one of the moms was going through chemo. Another was a single dad. The mom had passed away. Others are not as dramatic and are more similar to mine where Vivian would just not take the other stuff and not tolerate it. And I couldn't breastfeed. So it was just this weird combination of like, she just, for some reason, out of all the kids had like the double, you know, triple whammy. But my case 
it felt very desperate to me at the time. But there are so many people out there that really, really rely on this. And I will tell you, as someone who is not here to bash any type of feeding, all my kids had formula for some period of time. I will vouch to all of you that Vivian never did. And she had little to no constipation ever. Uh, All my kids had a little bit of that. She never seemed to have the upset stomach and the kind of the gas. She really barely got sick this year. And I just... I do believe in the power of breast milk. And again, it's not trying to bash other things. It's just, I do believe in in the power of it. I do too. I'm fully supportive of parents feeding their babies whatever is best for them. But as you mentioned, being part of the Human Milk for Human Babies group, I was really enlightened to, to see that there are lots of babies out there who can't tolerate formula for whatever reason, then there's a lot of parents who need it for various reasons too. It's a great, it's a great resource if that's what parents choose. Cassie was interesting. My sister was the one who told me about it. Obviously, when I first decided to post and ask for it, a lot of fear enters your mind, right? Because you're like this, I don't know these people. You know, you could let your imagination go. What if they're a do drugs or what if this or... And then my sister, and I'm not usually a worrier, but my sister was like, bet. These moms could sell their milk to different things. These moms are taking so much time out of their day. If they really were doing that, like there's really no incentive for them to do that. And yeah, do your homework. And yeah, if you ever feel like there's something ever suspicious, of course. But I do think that that's a normal fear for anyone maybe first time receiving. And I also think there's that fear when I talk to other moms who are donors, kind of different fears when you're first donating. And I don't know if you've experienced both of those and kind of what your thoughts are on reassuring recipients, but also some of the, maybe the the fears or worries you had as being a donor. I totally understand having fears on both ends. I felt nervous going into it as a donor. I was also kind of blown away by all of these parents who were just willing to kind of trust these donors without ever knowing them. A lot of times on the Facebook group, people will say, whatever medications they're on, you can always ask what medications are you on. And for the parents looking for a donor, you can ask any questions. I think most donors are probably pretty receptive. Of course, it's social media and anyone can lie. But as you said, I don't think most people have an incentive to do that. They're really wanting to just give milk to help other parents. I will say in the beginning, I was very cautious and I used to drive 45 minutes to meet the parents at like a mall or something and we'd exchange we'd exchange the milk over time that got to be really hard especially the more kids I had so now I do as you know ask the parents to come to my house and just get it from my my doorstep there's lots of ways to kind of just get around if you're if you're feeling uncomfortable about meeting someone, you know, you can do a porch pickup, you can meet someone in a public space, you know, just as you would with any sort of buying or exchanging of goods. 
Don't be afraid to ask questions. You can ask about diet and medications and coffee and whatever would help give you reassurance. But time and time again, I have had nothing but positive responses and just amazing moms, just like moms who just blow me away at their generosity. You know, the first time I posted, I didn't even think about it, but so I posted and this mom goes, well, I know you're, you have a a newborn and I know what it's like to have a newborn. I'll just bring it by. So she literally showed up and then I didn't, I know this is, sounds really naive, but this is my first time. She's like, oh, I noticed you don't have a cooler out. I'm just going to give you mine. I don't need it. It's an old cooler. We've been moving. So I have this picture that I will always have just totally like tattooed in my mind of this red cooler sitting on my front porch. Because to me, it was a, it's a sign of all those moms that like you were doing, like driving 45 minutes, spending all these hours pumping all this milk. And then giving it to someone so willingly, it kind of blows my mind. Well, I think, you know, it takes a village, right? It takes a village. So we just accept help and we offer help where we can. Yeah, I I think that's so important as just a world and especially as moms. Did you ever have a situation that you think you'd love to tell people about like, hey, you know, I've really found this or hey, make sure any words of of caution or anything that you've learned after doing this for a long time? I've been really lucky that I've had pretty great experiences. I've definitely had a few families who just don't say please or thank you. They just tell me to leave it on the porch and I never hear from them again. And that can feel a little like, like I'm just underappreciated, but that's really been the worst of it. So I I feel very fortunate that most of the families I have worked with have been so grateful, so kind, so generous. I'm just lucky and thankful to have known them and I've met some of their babies and it's it's been great. That is so important is just as a recipient, if you are out there choosing to go on this path, make sure you express how grateful you really are because as Cassie has kind of shined a light on, it's a ton of time and it's a ton of energy. She doesn't have to do it. No one has to do it. It is something that they're doing in addition to feeding their own children. And I think it's really important that we say thank you. And maybe you can give a small gift or write a really lovely note, or maybe you can bring something that's important to you. Like maybe you have chickens and you can bring eggs, or maybe you made some marinara sauce, or, you know, we always could do better in this department and myself included. But I think it's really important to make sure when we're getting anything like this in life that we say thank you, because those words are important to hear that, that you feel appreciated for all that time and effort. Well, I will say, Beth, that you've been truly amazing in this department. You have always been so generous and so expressive of your gratitude. It's been so sweet. And I know for those families who didn't say thank you, they live busy lives and they didn't mean anything by it. And I think, honestly, most most people don't realize the time it takes to do all of the pumping. So I don't really hold it against them, but a thank you is always appreciated. I think you're right. And it's good to highlight that. And I think 
no matter who we are in our day-to-day lives, we just could all say thank you more, not leave any compliment held in, not leave any gratitude held in. The more we can let it out and, and share that. And it is, and it can be a learned thing. You know, I, I do think that, you know, I grew up in a very grateful family. So hopefully I can live up to that. And I still fail all the time. <laughs> but I really try. I do really try. So now, Cassie, you mentioned this this Facebook group, Human Milk for Human Babies. And that's where we connected. And there's one in every state. And that's the area that I knew about. I am a member of our local cities like Mom Group. And every once in a while, I would post a link to the Human Milk for Human Babies like site so that people knew about it. Because I do think there's a lot of moms out there that would love to donate. Or maybe they're not pumping as much as you are, but they have some in their freezer or they have some extra that they weren't expected. And for them to just know that that resource is out there. So I try to share about it. For anyone listening, the site that Cassie mentioned on Facebook has been the place that we are referring to and that we have connected and really, I think, does a phenomenal job of connecting people with milk and who need milk. Yeah, it's been my favorite place. I also occasionally see a post about it on like our local like moms group. Also, if anyone has a midwife, I know that at least my midwife, I had a home birth with my last baby. She has lots of connections of moms who need milk. So that could always be a possibility if you're able to donate or if you need milk to reach out to your midwife. But human milk for human babies is like my favorite spot. Yeah, it's been a a great resource. Out of all the people you've donated to, and again, this isn't trying to put you on the spot and please not meaning any of my story, meaning out of all the people you've donated to, what's been a a story or a a donor experience that really like touched you? It may be so, or, or the reason that they needed it. Is there one that kind of stands out in your mind? Um, there's so many I did when, I think it was when I was nursing my third, there was a family who had twins. They were just failing to thrive. One in particular was quite small compared to the other. I donated milk to them for, I think, almost a year and a half on a monthly basis. It was just so amazing to watch them grow and to watch them be healthy and to know that I had a little tiny part in in that. The mom and I, we would get coffee every once in a while, and it was just nice to to make that connection and and to see the babies. This was, of course, all before COVID and everything, but that was a story that like kind of touched my heart because there was two babies in need. Yes. Oh my gosh, I want to cry, and I can't believe like. Just to know, like you, oh, I just love that. So do you have any idea how many ounces you've donated? Like, do you have like a guess in your mind? I mean, you're, you, you seem so like on it and so sharp for most of us mom's brains are mush at different times, but I'm impressed. I did a little bit of the math because I will say I'd never kept track with how many ounces I donated when I started. So when I was nursing my second baby for that whole time that I donated, I I really don't have any idea. But with my most recent baby with August, I donated 75 gallons over like 14 months. 
and it was a little bit less each time. So, I mean, probably 200 to 250 gallons, I would say, over the last eight years. I say that, I want to I want to say this with like as much humility as possible, because I know that sounds like a lot. And I know some parents would give anything to be able to make that much milk. I say it with humility and gratitude for my body being able to do that. How many families do you guess you've helped throughout the years? And how many years? So you started after your second doing this? Yeah. So eight years ago, nine years ago? Yep. Yep. About eight years ago. Yeah. I think it's been 11, 11 babies that I've given milk to. And some of those were, you know, for over, over a year, there was two sets of twins. So it was probably about nine families have received milk from me. Whether it's the mom who just had a little bit extra in her freezer or whether it is someone like Cassie where like she's got a routine and she dedicates this and has a system. And what is nice is when you do connect with someone that you feel like you can trust, you know, you're not as worried like, okay, because every time there's a new donor, sometimes you're like, okay, I got to meet someone new and I've got to make sure everything's okay and how the baby responds. And, you know, there's just more of that unknown, even though I never had any bad situations. I do think that that is a real beautiful gift when you have someone like you who's like a long-term donor. I think that can be really nice. Yeah, I think for a lot of families, that's probably like kind of the perfect situation is to have, to be able to count on a monthly donation because I know that there are many families who have to go on to the group every few weeks and once again, ask for milk and because there is, I believe, more need than there are donors, you know, sometimes you're, you're kind of asking for it and hoping, but you might not have anyone or, you know, they might choose someone else to give their milk to. And so I know that can be a struggle. So having a regular donor, I think is probably a dream situation for a lot of families. What else have you gained along the way that you want to share today? One thing, this is just like a very kind of practical tip would just be if you are going to be the recipient of donor milk, if you can provide breast milk bags, that is incredibly, incredibly helpful. I didn't really ask for it in the beginning. And then as I went on, I started asking a little more when I would post. I would go through two to three boxes of bags every month. That really adds up. That's about $45 to $60 every month that I I would have to pay for unless someone gave me the bags. And so just if you can do that, that's like a huge thing that you can do to help the donor. The other thing I just want to reiterate is like, everyone do what works for you. But you said this, the other day on Facebook, and it really stuck with me. And it was pursue joy, not perfection. And I'm definitely guilty of pursuing perfection. But if we can just pursue joy in our breastfeeding or feeding our baby in whatever way brings us the most joy and the most peace. And for some people, that's going to be breastfeeding. But for others, it is going to be formula feeding or getting donor milk or working really hard through your breastfeeding struggles because you have confidence that there's joy on the other side of it. Like It's going to be different for everyone. But I just really want to say like, Do what's going to bring you the most joy and the most peace because that's really what matters. Oh, I think that's such 
important advice for all of our journeys because if that can be kind of like our northern star, you know, like the compass, then so much kind of falls into place and not perfectly, but the more we can keep that as our focus, then a lot of the trivial stuff that we can get hung up on doesn't be kind of our front and center. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, like you, Cassie, I have things that, you know, I am like, oh, why am I worried about this? Or why do I want this to be this way? And and you're right. The more that we can just keep our eyes on that that joy and enjoying that time with our baby, no matter what feeding looks like, you're right. There's just that's such a beautiful, beautiful gift. This has been such a just a great, great day for me. I've been looking forward to talking with you and sharing your story so much. And I do want to make sure that people heard her on you know, if you're receiving a donation, the other thing she mentioned bags, but you can offer, you know, pump parts. There's little valves on some pumps. There's all these things wear out after use. So make sure we're, we're taking care of the people that are taking care of us. Real quick question, Cassie, what pump do you use? Do you have a pump that you just love or do you, does it really matter? I do. I'm kind of embarrassed because it's a really old one, but it has stuck with me. Um, it's it's a Medela. Gosh, I can't even remember what kind it is. It comes in a black bag. It's It, it was, a. I remember like in 2010, it was like $350 and I won it from like this baby fair I attended while I was pregnant with my first. We have had to replace a few things, but it has just really stuck with me through like the test of time. <laughs> I know this pump. This is the pump I bought when I had Emmy Lou, my oldest, who's 11. I know it so well. The black bag. It looked kind of like a purse. I actually, I'm like, oh, it's so sleek because it doesn't look like you're carrying a pump around at work. And I know yep. exactly which one you're talking about, but I can't remember what it's called either. I just call it the, my Medela, the Medela yeah. pump. Yeah. I tried So I tried a few other ones because our insurance would cover it. I tried a few other ones. You know, there's those new ones that like go in your bra where you can walk around. They're the battery powered or the charge. You can charge them like the LV. I find that some people love them. They're like, oh, they're the greatest things ever. I put them in my bra and I literally can walk around and like uh, do dishes or I can, you know, get other things done. But those were really like hit or really hit or miss for me. Like, yeah, sometimes I'd get three ounces on a side, but then sometimes I'd be wearing it for like an hour and a half and an ounce would come out. So I don't know if it was the user, aka me, because I do <laughs> notice very bipolar responses about those ones. And then I had a Spectra given to me and I did like my Spectra. It was pretty powerful and I thought it did a good job. But again, I've never been a super producer, but I pumped to try to keep my milk production up. And then when I went back to work, I always had to pump. But I'm so glad that Medela is just still kicking it for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's been amazing. But it is a great tip that like if one pump's not working for you, try something else because I've heard many, many stories about how one pump really helps a woman and another doesn't work. So um, don't be afraid to like test out a few. 
Yeah. And I do think it's much more common now that if you're on your own insurance or you're on your husband's insurance, that pumps are now covered by insurance. A lot of them are at least. And some of them you might have to pay up a little bit, depending if you pick like a different or premium option. But don't forget to check into that instead of just buying one now if you can. And then also I think her advice on the pump can apply to breastfeeding because I do know that some of my friends that are the longest running breastfeeders, you know, they breastfed a ton of babies or they breastfed super long with even one or two children, is that they all say the same thing is that they didn't all just hit it out of the park right away, that some of them really did have to push through some tough times on their breastfeeding journey. And they just kind of kept trudging through. And then they all kind of told me that then they kind of hit like a cruise control, similar to our conversation where we were talking about like, oh, everyone assumes when you have a big family that you're fertile. I do think that everyone assumes if you've been breastfeeding your child for a year, that must have meant it was just super easy all the time. And for some, yes, but many have to kind of push through, you know, some thrush or some clogged milk ducts or mastitis or maybe the baby is not latching right or whatever. I think that many will say you just kind of keep trying if you can. Obviously fed is best. Yeah, keep trying and also try a different position to nurse in that can sometimes get a baby to latch in one position where they they won't latch in another. And then what do you do at night? Like, do you find that your babies at nighttime, do you have to keep a lot of those feedings to keep your milk up? Or once your milk stabilizes, are you able to sleep longer periods? I've been very fortunate in that I've had babies who sleep through the night pretty early on. Usually by about two months, they're sleeping through the night. I thankfully don't have to get up in the middle of the night to pump. So I pump right before bed and I pump right when I get up, but I get a full night of sleep in theory as as long as another kid doesn't wake me up. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's great. I love hearing that. That's so nice. That's really nice, I think, for people to hear that, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel if you are waking up in the middle of the night. And then do you have any tricks for anyone who maybe when they get a clogged milk duct, what has worked the best for you and how you've pushed through those times of when you've had one? There's a couple things. Usually the first thing I do is I get in a hot shower and I massage it. I like, usually you can feel the clog, like there's a knot in your breast and just massage from the top down to the nipple kind of over and over. I will do it super hard to the point where sometimes I feel a little bruise afterwards for like a day. That usually does the trick for me. But it might be like 5, 10, 15 minutes in the shower of doing that. Another thing that can really help is what they call dangle feeding. And that's where you lay your baby on like a bed and you get on all fours over your baby and have them nurse on the breast with the clogged duct in that position. So you're kind of dangling your breast over over the baby and the gravity of that and the nursing really does the trick. Those are my two favorite things to do. So as we close here, you talked about August. He's 15 months and your breastfeeding journey, you know, are you coming to the end of that and how does that How does that make you feel? I know that's probably a hard question. I just weaned him really a couple weeks ago. So he's completely done nursing now. And I do feel kind of emotional about it. It was definitely hard the first few days because he would would kind of put his mouth on my chest and stuff. And I would have to say no 
So it's definitely, definitely hard and sad. I don't know if this is our last baby or not. So there's a big part of me that hopes I'll have the opportunity to feed again. But I'm also trying to come to terms with the fact that I might be done with this journey forever. And it's sad and it's emotional. And I definitely just am trying to let myself feel the emotions and mostly feel gratitude for the fact that I was able to do it and I was able to do it with all five of mine. Yeah, I totally can empathize with that feeling of when you're in this transition and you don't know, like, you know, are you going to have another baby or are you not? Are you going to breastfeed again? Are you not? And then, but still wanting to be grateful and kind of, I love your you're saying they're just feeling all the feelings and it's okay to process those and feel different maybe every day, (laughs) you know, just being like, and then feel all the feelings every day. Well, bless your heart for willing to share your story with us today, Cassie, and for all that you've given to Vivi and to our family and to so many other families. I hope that if you are a listener today and you are someone who could donate, that you will find the Human Milk for Human Babies site. I'll also link it in the show notes. And then if you are someone in need to go check it out and maybe you are like me, you never thought that that would be a part of your journey. You never thought that you'd be in a state of vulnerability in that, in that way. And I just want to encourage you that it's worth it to at least go check it out and see if it may be a fit for you. So Cassie, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Beth, for having me. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you. You.